Yes, indeedy. If you've heard this before, it probably was yesterday. <laughs> I used the same music from yesterday because we had, if you had tuned in, uh, we had a little uh, glitch yesterday, but our intrepid engineers uh, went to work and got everything working all right again. So I thank them very much. They're very low-key guys, but they know what they're doing. And we are all the more fortunate to have them with us at PRN. That was uh, Midnight Walk, starring, as they say, Elvin Jones. Elvin Jones on uh, um, saxophone. His brother is uh, Thad Jones, is on trumpet. Hank Mobley on tenor sax. Abdullah Ibrahim on piano. Steve James on electric piano. Don Moore on bass. And George Abend on percussion. As I said, it's titled Midnight Walk. This is Lead Stories. I'm Eutrice Lead, and I'm so glad to be back with you uh, and that we can be back with each other today. The news isn't so good for Kamala Harris, Vice President Kamala Harris, who has tested positive for COVID. And uh, my good thoughts are with her, and hopefully... She will pull through. It's really a scary thing. Uh, this disease knows no class, race, creed, color, religion. It goes where it goes. And uh, so it was reported today that she has come down with the virus. So hopefully she will, of course. You know, being vice president of the United States, there's no question that she get the very best of care. But you always have to put a little extra in your prayers, put a little extra in your thoughts, and hope that she pulls through. Okay, so we returned to our discussion yesterday. Uh, we were talking about the situation... Uh, that's developing, and what do we make of it? How do we deal with this? Who is going to make the decision, and what is the decision that they will make on the, the way the United States situates itself in an increasingly warlike world? And we have uh, demands, or I shouldn't say demands, requests uh, being made for help, financial help, military help uh, to combat the advancing army of Vladimir Putin in uh, Russia. Uh, but he is he has an idea that he needs to own quite a bit more 
of Ukraine and Moldova and other surrounding uh, countries, smaller countries, and amalgamate them and become the behemoth that he really thinks Russia ought to be. So there were questions that we were raising and talking about yesterday, and I want to return to those questions. If you would like to get your two words in, that would be great. So I go back to the first question. Is the United States, by virtue of its massive and presumably continuing military aid to Ukraine, also at war with Russia. Is the United States, by virtue of its massive and presumably continuing military aid to Ukraine, also at war with Russia? The question is asked that way because it more and more it is not you can't separate the countries giving aid and the countries receiving that aid so you have to get some kind of clarity on whether they're the same in terms of attitude toward Russia are they they at war with Russia as well, together? Or is there some other arrangement that they're coming to? And if so, what, what is it? I'm not aware, but uh, it's worth asking the question. Do you have an answer to that question? 888-874-4888. 888-874-4888. Is the United States, by virtue of its massive and presumably continuing military aid to Ukraine, also at war with Russia? If you were to advise us all on that question, what would you say? Or is it uh, a very different arrangement here? The providing aid does not mean that you are partners with the person or the country that you're aiding. But I would like some clarity on that, and I'd like to know what your position is on that. Gwen from New York, you're on the air. Hi. 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 Hello. Um, I, I, I want to make this clear. We in the United States are at war with Russia, not Ukraine. They are being used as human shields. We are arming them, but we are the provocateurs. And they are carrying our water for us. And uh, it's doesn't seem to be uh, well, hold now. on there for a second why would you say we are at war with russia and we because we surrounded the their border we we have surrounded their border since i believe 1997 with our nato forces and we are the head of nato and we have crushed them we have tried to make them feel as uncomfortable as possible and now we're bringing switzerland along 
and I think the Netherlands as well. And they're going to be part of the NATO agreements as well, and they also sit on the border of Russia. And this is making them feel very, very uncomfortable. And I completely understand why they feel uncomfortable, because if they said to the United States, we are going to pull our Russian tanks up to on the border of Canada, and we're going to point those tanks into your United States, and then we're going to put them in, in, uh, in Mexico, too. I can't tell you that I would feel very comfortable about this. I would feel very uncomfortable. We have many people in the United States that are extremely ignorant about the relationship of Russia and Ukraine, and they don't understand this is not just some free country that was always standing alone. It wasn't. There are many people that are from Ukraine that even identify themselves as Russian because their roots are so tied into Russia. And it wasn't too long ago that Russia uh, was, was the, uh, Ukraine was part of Russia. So this idea that you have this standalone nation, that we've got to bail them out, that they're you know, trying to get their liberty, is just a bunch of crap. And there is a lot of, 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 of um, Nazi forces over there, and we refuse to look into that because we don't want to see it. So here we are with the total and utter insane people at the top, these oligarch rich people that are crazy, and they truly are crazy because the weapons today – they won't be like Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which were terrible. They're like 10 times worse than they. So when we talk about the idea of having a limited nuclear strike, there is no such thing. This is the end of the world. And we're letting people that are truly mad. And, you know, I have always said this. I think that people that are this rich are so insecure that, they, that this is the only thing they can do to feed their insecurities. And the hole is so deep in their soul that it wouldn't matter how much money you buried in it. You cannot fix it. They cannot fix it. And their egos are too big to bring them through the door of trying to quell their soul in a different way. So we all have to struggle with these mentally ill people, and I think they are mentally ill. I mean, who who are the United States? I mean, summary... The United States, you maintain, is at war along with Ukraine because it, is, it has made a commitment to support Ukraine. It is also at war with Russia. I would tell you that, in my opinion, we are at war with Russia. One. That's the number one. We are at war with Russia. We have everything except for boots on the ground. We are using the people of Ukraine, first to be the, you know, the mannequins that are going to get bombed, and secondly, they can carry our weapons for us until finally we're ready to put boots on the ground. But, you know, there's lots of people uh, that are in Congress now that are talking about this, that the idea of actually putting boots on the ground, we have ignorant people from America who are calling for so-called limited nuclear strikes, and the fact of the matter is we've been pushing this envelope for a long time. Now, why are we pushing this envelope? Because we have nothing in the way of industry left in the United States except for war. There is nothing. There's not one factory. There's, we, are not, we are not anything more than a service country, which brings us to a third world uh, economically standing. We were an industrialized nation until the 1990s, and then we decided piece by piece to sell it off, to get rid of it. And now the only thing that we really have, which, which is worth anything, is our manufacturing of weapons and the idea of, 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 of making war. So this is the direction we decided to go on, and we're, we're poking the biggest bear in the world. And, you know, hang on to your hat, because I, I, I can't think that, that China won't side up with Russia. I do think they'll side with Russia. But there's all kinds of really, really nefarious things going on right now. 
And um, I think that we are idiots in America if we think that we're fighting some freedom war for an oppressed people. That's just not the case. But, you know, when you talk to people in America, they listen to TV, and that's, that's the only source. And they tell you, well, if it's, if it's on TV, that's, that's the truth. That's what truth is, what you see on TV. They don't think of looking behind the, 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 the curtain to see, you know, that Westinghouse owns CNBC and NBC and Bill Gates and all these people that are profiting from this. And I, I can't think of a solution other than at this point with the stakes being so tremendously high that it would actually take a worldwide anti-war population to stop this an anti-war movement so, that would be worldwide. So, in your view, would the United States be justified in helping to defend or giving aid to Ukraine? Or should the United States stay out of war altogether? If we, if we hadn't had our weapons on the border of Ukraine, there wouldn't be a war. This is what we need to do. We need to go and pack up all of our junk and get it out of there, and then that will stop the entire process. As long as we leave our weapons there, as long as we, we, we have weaponized Ukraine with our weapons, there will be a conflict. Russia sat for a long time. First, they couldn't do anything because they didn't have the money to do anything when all this started happening. But they told us many, many years ago, and our own people have told us. Henry Kissinger said it. This is not going to make this is this is going to make them very uncomfortable. You can't build up NATO. You can't go one inch west from from East Germany or uh, I think it was East Germany. I'm sorry, from this point without them getting defensive. And you know what did we do? We went whole hog. We broke our treaties. We broke our agreements. Yes, I give you this that it was not written down, but enough people heard it that that you could you could you could feel you could believe that it was true. You know, and so we went back on our word. And we've, we've armed every country over there. We, we have every single border. We have our guns on all the borders that are facing Russia. And, you know, whether you, whether you like Vladimir Putin or not, it's irrelevant. I mean, do you really want World War III? And, and why are we having this? Well, it comes back to economics. That's what it comes back to. We, we're carrying the largest debt we've ever carried in the history of the world. And, and, and we have no way out of it. So this is the direction they want to go in. And, uh, and I'll tell you something else, you tree, since I know how much you love Donald Trump. <laughs> no, he's your boyfriend. I adore him. <laughs> I, I, I think that if Donald Trump c- comes up to the uh, podium and he, and he runs again, if he says he's not going to support a war with Russia, unfortunately, he's, I believe he'll get back in again. Because I think there are a lot more people now, you know, you still have this segment of the population that only goes to the TV, but I'm really surprised at how many people are digging deeper looking for different information. And I'm not talking about millennials. I'm talking about older people that are actually, you know, uh, on the computer and they're seeking more information and they are getting armed with better information than, than what is out there. So, uh, okay, now, so summarize, summarize your position. Okay. My yes. position is this. My position is, is first, there is a way out. The way out would be to politely pack up our, our toys and come back home and try to, try to have some kind of treaty to, you know, to say that we will not, will not put our weapons on the border of Russia. And we, we won't have them put theirs on ours either. And so that, that could end this whole thing. But we don't have the willingness to end it. So I believe that at some point we probably will have boots on the ground. And I don't know where it goes from there. It doesn't look good to me. 
All right. Well, thank you for getting us started today. 888-874-4888. We're returning to a conversation we weren't able to finish yesterday. But now we can because our experts, our computer wizards have done their work and we are back on the air. 888-874-4888 from Wisconsin. Marcus, you're on the air. Thank you, Therese. Um, interesting Hello. discussion. I, I'm glad you let us uh, contribute to it. Um, I tend to take a more comprehensive view than uh, the media allows. There are many levels um, at which important geopolitical actors interact in this world. Um, and so I think you have to think long term and in a much larger context than the contexts we're given to think of. Um, the BRIC countries, uh, Russia, China, India, Brazil, have cornered the market on the world's food, energy, and technology. In the long run, that's going to win any contest. It's, there's just no way around it. Now, to me, the actual war that's going on, being conducted from the U.S.'s vantage point, is ostensibly against Russia, that is, for appearances in, in this one theater. But the actual war is going on against the U.S., against Europe. Uh, there's been a motto in the State Department since the end of World War II about U.S. strategy. The goal is to keep the U.S. up, Russia down, and Germany out. And if you look at it, this is precisely what's going on. The European, the EU economy is trashed. It, 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 I mean, it's just make the patient as comfortable as possible because there's nothing you can do. Um, and the threat of Germany arming, uh, I mean, the U.S. wants to send billions of dollars to Germany to rearm. Uh, this is not a topic of discussion anywhere. This is about the most boneheaded idea we could possibly come up with in the history of the human race. At the same time, Russia and the United States, China and the United States are working diligently together on the central bank digital currency idea. They're all for it. That's going ahead, and I think more than anything else, we are seeing a reorganization of world markets and power systems, and the actual conflict is between the Anglo-Saxon geopolitical bloc to control the new system or the system of the BRIC countries controlling the new system that's being set up, the digital system. And the U.S., as you see, has pretty much dispensed with even the formal appearance of democracy. Uh, I have four headlines here 
that I would share to make my, point, my, my case. The New York Times ran a headline recently, China and Russia are giving authoritarianism a bad name. Let that sink in. Uh, Bloomberg News, to save democracy, we need a few good dictators. Okay, the Washington Post, it's time to give the elite a bigger say in choosing the president. These are, these are headlines from this month. The Financial Times, democracy um, is better when there's less of it. Now, the new system is going to be authoritarian regardless of who runs it. This is a contest to see who will run it. And if we just focus on the shiny object, what's going on day to day in the media, we're going to miss the point because these people think in terms of 50 years, 75 years, 100 years at a time. I mean, go read the stuff from the uh, uh, Financial Governing Board of the Bank of International Settlements and the, and the uh, International Monetary Fund, and you begin to get the picture. They don't see nation-states, the old Westphalian nation-state model. That's extinct. Nobody in power believes in that anymore. That's just a show for the publics. You do that for the benefit of the hypnotized, media-manipulated publics everywhere so they can cheer for their team or whatever. But the elites do not think that way. They see markets. They see power centers. And so I think we're really missing the larger, most important points, because they're going to force this on you and your children, whether you like it or not. And so this is why I usually, with you, spend most of my time trying to get us to figure out ways to organize against it by, as Malcolm Malcolm X said, by any means necessary, because we don't have time to stand around the water cooler and jab and jabber about it and speculate on what power will do next. It's easy to find out. There's, there's a conflict among the elites to see who's going to control the new model. But the model is, is coming regardless, unless people stop it. Otherwise, it's inevitable. That's my okay. view. Okay. That's a very poignant view, and I thank you for it. Thank you for contributing. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. 888-874-4888. Let's hear what you have to say. I'm going to introduce a new question. Why hasn't Congress yet held an open debate and vote on U.S. policy on the war? Inasmuch as billions of dollars are already being allocated and spent on the Russia-Ukraine war. I'll repeat it. Why hasn't Congress 
yet held an open debate and vote on U.S. policy on the war, in as much as billions of dollars are already being spent on the Russia-Ukraine war. What have you to say, Bob, from Virginia? Good afternoon, please. I just have a question Good afternoon, for you. Bob. Good afternoon. I have a question for you. The question you posed at first was answered in a 40-minute uh, discussion with Gary Noe on the show just before yours by an expert, world expert on history and the conflict. I don't know if people in the, on the show listened to the show just before yours because that was answered and discussed in depth, all the facts. On your yes, second question... That is from any particular person's point of view. This is an open forum, and I'm expecting a wide range of views. I'd like to hear them. Okay. Do you have anything to contribute? Yeah. Um, well, I'm, not a, I'm not an expert on that war and the history, but it was very informative. I would suggest everybody go and listen to it. I, on the question of open forum and discussion, there's never an open forum and discussion in the U.S. Congress, so why should this be any different? These people are all be holding to people who contribute to their, their um, elections and their political actions, and so you, I would never expect there to be an open forum and discussion. There has never been. There, there was never been on, on COVID or any other topic in the past 40 years in the, in the Congress. It's all pre-planned. It's all an act for the media. Some people would say that that's a, 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 you know, you may have a point, but it sounds like you painting with a very broad brush there. Well, um, the broad brush includes the smaller brush. So uh, if people aren't looking at a, a broad view of what's going on, they'll be buttonholed and and uh, <clears throat> compartmentalized by the the media into to talking about more issues. Okay, issues. You, okay. I and want you to just hold it for a minute. Hold it for a minute. A question is being asked of you. And you're going, you're spraying with a big, you know, a big fire hose. I'd like you to, to get as narrow as you can with regard to the question and its intent. Do you have uh, any desire to do that? Well, I'm, I'm not sure what your intent is because you haven't explained that specifically. The intent is to answer the question specifically. Why hasn't it? Because it doesn't benefit the people who are in, in, in the Congress. It doesn't benefit them financially, emotionally, logically. <clears throat> and and it, would open up that, it would open them up to <clears throat> having being exposed, exposed to what uh, is really going on. 
And, and I think the gentleman you're, you're missing the point. The let me him, repeat. Let me repeat the question. Put the let me repeat the, the question. Let me repeat the question. Why hasn't Congress yet held an open debate and vote on U.S. policy on the war? In as much as billions of dollars are already being allocated and spent on it. They're, they're, they haven't, and they're not going to, because it doesn't benefit them or the people that back them. The, the, uh, the war and the war material and war manufacture and equipment and armament Industry, you're not going to. You're not. It's not, not going to happen. That's why. It's why is because it doesn't benefit those people who are in those positions who are just in, in the in the um, Russia Ukrainian um, money that was allocated by the Congress was a, a 20% salary hike for the people who voted. So how how are you, you going to have a debate when the people themselves vote and allocate the money benefit themselves. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for contributing today. Bob from Virginia, you're on the air. That was... Oh, that was Bob. Uh, Mark from New Jersey, you're on the air. Yes, hi, Eutrice. Um Boy, you Hello. have a very... The, the intellectual uh, content of your show is really amazing when you think about the, the depth that you go into. But um, to answer your last question, I, I do want to say that the first caller, that woman from New York, I thought she was brilliant, and I thought she really hit on all the things that I would have wanted to say. But to answer your second question uh, very succinctly, I don't think the members of Congress are interested in a debate because I don't really think they care about the best interests of your average American. Now, there may be some members of Congress who are genuinely good people with integrity, but it's not many. And you can just look at the fact that when people go into Congress, look at their net worth when they enter Congress or the Senate, and then look at their net worth when, when they come out. And it's exponentially higher because they're not, you know, they're, they're basically like, uh, uh, to use a crude metaphor, they're like prostitutes working for their pimps, which are the, you know, the lobbyists, the defense contractors, the big corporations, pharmaceutical companies, whatever. And they're not interested in taking care of the average American, uh, generally speaking. Obviously, like you said, you don't want to paint everyone with the same brush because there are some members of Congress and the Senate that have integrity, but it's very few. And that's why we're sending, we're getting involved in this war. This is a proxy war. That's all it is, and they've wanted it for many years, really. It's strange. It doesn't make any sense to me why anyone would want a war, if you know what war is. But even in 2014, most recently, in the Obama-Biden administration, they put like $500 million of, of aid to destabilize Ukraine because there was a Ukrainian president who was very pro-Russia, and they wanted him out, and they eventually got him out by destabilizing the country further. And that led to Zelensky, who made all kinds of promises, but he didn't keep any of his promises. He made more division. And they've been fomenting this war for a long time. And I don't condone, again, what Putin did. It's not right, of course. It's, it's war crimes and everything else. But his point, he's not a nut. 
Putin. You know, this was something he was pushed into a corner. And eventually, maybe if Trump had been president, maybe it wouldn't have happened. I know because Trump and Putin are kind of on the same intellectual level and spiritual level. And maybe Trump would have talked to him and they would have worked something out. But Putin made demands before the war. He said, if you meet these five demands, we won't invade. And they weren't unreasonable. Okay, he wanted to keep some of the land he had annexed. He wanted, you know, a few things. He wanted assurances they wouldn't join NATO. He wanted, you know, certain things of, you know, getting the nuclear missiles out of the area. Uh, So it wasn't it wasn't crazy unreasonable. So they have wanted this war. I don't know why anyone would want a war. My dad was a disabled veteran from a war. So I know a little bit what war does to people. And it's a terrible failure of the politicians, because the one thing a politician is supposed to do is prevent war. If they don't do anything else, that's one good thing they could do. And they just, they're letting us down. They're letting the world down. And I really think your first caller, that woman, she had the idea. I mean, this could end so terribly. That's Gwen. Gwen, Gwen, she's very brilliant. This could end so terribly if they just allow it to escalate unchecked, because once a war starts, then anything can happen. It's not like a rational thing. And I just, it's really sad. That's all I can say. That's, that's all I can say. But I tried to answer your question, so I hope I did. You did. I want to know, though, uh, do you feel that all sides involved are kind of holding the rest of the world hostage on this question? Well, on what question? The question of, well, if we go with the idea that we are a democratic society, we are a democratic, we are a democracy, shouldn't we by now be vigorously debating all kinds of aspects of this war, especially since we are being looked to to provide aid. Yes, of course, of course. But the reason that we don't even have that is the the information that people are getting on on these issues is all stilted. It's all, uh, you know, it goes through this filter of, uh, again, what do the corporations want? What do the CIA want? You know, the CIA has had operatives in media since the 1950s in all major areas of media news so they they've they've been doing this for decades and people I don't I don't think a democracy can function if people don't even get accurate information and I don't think we're we're getting accurate information on most all things uh so that's part of the problem right there how can you make a decision on something if you don't even have the right information so what happens now i mean nothing is happening in the way of popular discussion and debate and yet that is the very core of the democratic ideal yes it's very it's very troubling that's exactly right that's you know what happens next is probably more suffering for people who don't deserve it i mean those people in ukraine don't deserve that in their you know where the 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 women and the children and the old people and everybody else uh, that's not, you know, that's not something they really signed up for. Uh, and even the Russian troops, I'm sure they don't want to be there. You know, there's been more gen- generals killed 
in, on Russia's side than there was in all of World War II. And, you know, that indicates that the troops are not really wanting to be there because the generals are up on the front lines and they're trying to, you know, uh, psych them up. So they don't want to be there anyway. They look at it like killing their own people, I'm sure. Uh, so it, it, it's, I, you know, I don't have the solution. I wish I did. Uh, but, you know, uh, it, it, it's like we do things that are so counterproductive to our own best interests. And, and, and again, I think if people had better information, then you might have a chance of, you know, turning some things around. But when I look at the, the level of information in the media that we get, uh, you know, I never voted for Trump. I, I couldn't never bring myself to do that. But he wasn't wrong about a lot of things he said about the media. He wasn't wrong. OK, the, you know, I guess a stop clock is right twice a day. But, you know, he um, uh, there's a lot. There's just a lot of stuff going on there. It's just it's just not on the level. I and mean, that's that's all I can say, I guess. So are you feeling hopeful that. At least in this instance, despite you, you, you pointed out the, the history of the media being, you know, acolytes of the the, the moneyed class doing uh, their the bidding and distorting information, uh, which they call coverage. Um, what do you think? Will there be, would this be an opportunity for the media to indicate that they are independent thinkers, that they are looking at the situation um, dispassionately? Well, yeah, that would, that would, it's a great opportunity, you know, for, for people. Um, but, you know, it's, wow, those people are few and far between, you know, and it's, it's just like, People get paid to do a job, and if you're not going to do the job the way they want you to do the job, you're not going to get paid to do it. And that's, you know, it, it, it's a real, uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to be uh, too depressed or negative or whatever because you want to always have hope that things can change. But uh, I don't know what it would take, really, um, you know, for people to uh, to really want to have a different kind of government. Maybe there's a lot of people who do want it. Maybe a lot of people who listen to your show and Gary Knoll and people like that. But I, I don't know what it would take, honestly. It, it's just, it's very hard, I guess. It's very hard to break out of patterns. And I suppose all of us, myself included, if we're relatively, you know, complacent enough, we're, we're happy enough with, with our situation, uh, we don't want to rock the boat too much, but uh, I, I don't know what it would take. It's it's a real it, it's a real sad situation. But I'll tell you, if the war was happening in our country, then people would have a different view. But you know, when it's not happening to you, then it's you know it's far away. And I just it makes me crazy though when I see all these th these people and they're cheering for the war like it's a video game, you know and. Uh, it just makes me crazy. I, I, I don't understand. And this is even a lot of people on the left. I'm not even talking about the Republicans. That's a whole other story. But I don't understand how these, all these Democrats, all these people who call themselves liberal, are so enthused over this whole thing. I just don't understand. Is it just because they hated Trump so much? And so now that Trump is out, everything Biden's doing must be great. I mean, I don't, I don't know. But I have never been too fond of either party, really. I always, I usually look for third parties and other parties, and 
but I don't under, that's that's what I really don't understand the most of everything cuz people are in, in my field highly educated people lifelong democrats they've all been but how can they go along with all this as if it's okay that's the thing that confuses me the most because it just it makes no sense to me it's like you see the sins of the republicans but you don't see the sins of the democrats uh, mm. i don't know well, thank you very much for your input today and your contribution. Well thought out. Thank you very much. And you gave thank us you. much to consider. Thank you so Do much. well, you treats, and keep it up. You're doing great. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Ali from New York, you're on the air. Hi, you trees. How are you doing? Okay. How are you? Oh, I haven't listened to you for almost two weeks, but I'm I'm glad that I did today. And um, and all those experts, including yourself, which you are the professor, the experts are you know they right on on the dot talking about what is happening um, in Russia and Ukraine. Um, I came in, I didn't hear your first question, but I do wanted to say something uh, related to what, uh, because I was listening to when, and I just wanted to add something to what she, she was saying. And I think the gentleman from Wisconsin, um, I wanted to say that this, this whole word that we're talking about um, is between United States and Russia and the Soviet Union. It's not really uh, against Ukraine because Ukraine, um, they're sacrificing the, the Ukrainian people and they don't see it for, for their own, uh, not only convenience, I think that is the wrong word, it should be a better word, but it's about, um, it's about what uh, I think Mark said, it's about power and he said about market. It's about the resources, the land resources uh, around the world and controlling the land and who would get the power. Remember, China and Russia are getting ready to replace the U.S. when it comes to power. The U.S., they don't want to lose the power because they want it to dictate, which they have done for such a long time to the rest of the world. Right now, they're dictating to the Europeans, which they are <laughs> the group right now, that they're more, they, they really, really damage the economy, all the, the sanctions. And you could just, and I, I, I don't have to repeat what we already know. So the U.S. is the one controlling this war. Right now, they went there yesterday, uh, the Secretary of State, to offer them money, money that they will spend on weapons. And where are they going to get that weapons from? And who has to pay that money back that they're getting? The Ukrainian people have to pay that money back that they're getting. So it's about money. It's about the resources of the land, who will be controlling the world, but especially the land. And that's one thing. And that money that they're getting is about coming back into the United States with this corporation that they control, the, the military industry, the weaponry. So
So um, this is some of the things that I would like to say about that. And also, there is something that people should know. Um, this war, what they call, we seen all around United States this Ukrainian flag. Today, I received um, a text message telling me that in Param in, in in Paramus, they have a bridge and they have a huge. Ukrainian flag. I have gone upstate to Kingston, to Tavoli, and then you go to all those areas, and it's a display of this Ukrainian flag. So like the last gentleman said, it's not only um, the right, but the left. The left is involved in supporting this war, I think more than the right, because if you notice, it's unbelievable. This is so involved that one of the tennis players, one of, one of the women, she's from Ukraine. Her last name is Estelovina. I read part of her tweet yesterday, last night, and she wants that they were already taken out from, from um, um, the, the British already took them out from from the tournament, from the open. I forgot the, the open thing. Um, I'm just, you know. So, so um, the Estevolina won um, the tennis world, the tennis association, to ask the Russian players certain questions. And if they don't go her way, the way that they should be answered, she wants all of them to be taken out from any competition around the world. This is the kind of things that we are dealing with right now. And I'm saying to myself, I used to like her, but now, and she's married to a black uh, tennis player from France. His name is Gail uh, uh, Morfield. And I'm just saying to myself, who, what is giving her that power? to go around and ask them to ask those questions because Estevelina wants them to be taken out from every competition around the world. This is crazy. This is, this is uh, I don't even know what to say, but we are, United States is controlling and dictating all around the world who could play and who cannot play. And this is, this war is against Ukraine. It's not against Ukraine. It's against Russia. And, and, and the other side is the United States. And for the people that they have been, especially on the left, that they're getting all this propaganda from CNN, from MSNBC, and they think they're getting the right information, even from those public broadcast uh, corporations. You guys should look at Gonzalo. Lira is alive. I'm taking a look at the clip on YouTube. It's Gonzalo. It's G-O-N-Z-A-L-O. -O, and the last name is Lira. L-I-R-A. And just put it's alive on YouTube. Also, take a look at Patrick Lancaster on YouTube. He has a YouTube channel. Take a look at those things so you could compare and make your decision. Who is in control? And I'm not saying who is winning and who is losing, but what kind of information are we getting? Because believe me, people, that right information that is out there, we've been taken out of the air.
we beat. Let me ask you, Ali, where do you think this is all going? What is the the ultimate plan? Where where is this going to end up? The ultimate plan is to do to Russia what it was done previously. What it was done to the Soviet to the Soviet Union is about controlling um, Russia first, so then they could go to China. So they need to knock them down. It's like when you when you are playing domino, that you need to knock down one one player so you could end up winning. But I, I, that's how I see it. They need to knock down Russia. And this is where um, the the um, the NATO and the United States think that they will be able to succeed. And I will tell you right now, the way I see it, I'm not going to tell you that it's going to be a, a winner and a loser, but Russia is not Afghanistan. Russia is not Iraq. Russia is not Libya. And you guys, everyone on this call, they know that. They're going to use those nuclear, <laughs> the nuclear power that they have, or the nuclear weapons, actually, that they have. I'm not sure, because they also have to consider themselves about destroying the entire world. But this is what is happening. And don't, and remember, the United States of America, and this is what people, they don't, they, they're forgetting. The, who was the first country that used the nuclear weapon? The United States. So they're always blaming Russia. So don't be surprised that when they see that they're not going to be able to win this war, then may use some nuclear weapon. So don't be surprised. That is why, where it's going. Where it's going to, that is the, the path that I see. It's about knocking down Russia to get into China. And through this, through this uh, country, as we know, they're very powerful. And as we know, China has not shown up all the weapons yet. So United States is playing really, really, and the Europeans, they know it, even though because the German, even though they, they, they're part of it, the German, they, they're aware of what is coming. So that's, I don't know who's going to win or who's going to, because in war, I don't think there is a, there is a winner or a loser. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that is the path that they, I think they're taking. It's about China. It's about knocking down both of them. Because both of them are looking to replace the United States of America. Well, thank you, Ali. I don't think I'll be sleeping tonight. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I don't thank you. Think so. uh, but bye-bye. thank you very much for your contribution today. Thank you. Claude from Washington, D.C., you're on the air. Uh, okay, thank you. I, I just want to add something. I, I listened uh, with interest to your first caller, and I agree with, with what she said. I think she was right on. But, but I, I wanted to add uh, just a point. Uh, a lot of this, what we're seeing, 
was was seen a hundred years ago. Halliford McKinder in 1904 uh, made a presentation to his geographical geographical society in uh, in London. And basically, you know, this was the beginning of geopolitics. And he outlined, you know, really uh, how Britain and certainly uh, North America and South America are on the fringe of uh, uh, the, 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 you know, the world demographics, because what he, what he outlined, it, uh, Russia and China in that in that part of the world were where you have the people that the resources and, and the riches of the, you know, of the world. Uh, and uh, this was pre-World War One, and these issues have still not been settled. You know, we're still fighting over the same thing. And, and I think, you know, and I think the Chinese uh, and the Russians also know that time is on their side because they're sitting in the, at the center of the world. And uh, so, yeah, so I... I uh, that's what I wanted to so, offer. So how, I think. What makes you conclude that time is on their side? <laughs> because uh, because it is because the the resources are there, the people are there. You know, they they, they they're already establishing their uh, uh, what their 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 commun- their, uh, their transportation systems. You know, their infrastructure. You know, the Chinese are doing that with the Silk Road. Uh, the Russians are doing that with oil. And, and they're not doing it, I think. I think they're doing it just to improve the lives of the people that live in that part of the world, to have, to have a better society. They're not, I don't think they, they're looking to be at war with the United States. I, I think that's our, that's our excuse. That, that's our, you know, uh, that's our problem, you know, that we recognize that we are on the fringe. And and the the future, you know, the future of the world, if if it's, if it's still going to be or if we're still going to be around, is going to be uh, in in that part of it's going to be uh, you know in uh, in in East Asia. That's 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 what it is. I mean, you know, people that the Brits figured this out, Mackinder figured this out in 1904, and, and nothing has really changed. Except for the United States. When did the when did the United States uh, creep toward the fringe? In your view, what caused this movement toward the fringe, which is where you you locate well, the United States now? I mean, it's because we've always that's where we've always been. You know, we we've always been uh, the the uh, the the. Um, just just to step back, like I, w- I tried to say, that the, that the demographics, the resources, and uh, yeah, it's it's in East Asia. It's not here, you know. Uh, and that and that's and that's all there is to it. You know, I I, I think um, I think it. You know, I I haven't looked at McKinder's you know, essay in, in in a long time. But if you look at it, uh, I, I think he he analyzed the uh, the situation properly, and, and a lot and a lot of the, our current you know uh, leaders have have fought in a very similar way. Henry Kissinger was a proponent of, of McKinder. Uh, Brzezinski held a lot of his views, you know, uh, the same. 
So, uh, you know, even though, I mean, what, what exactly McKinder said back then, maybe things have changed somewhat, but the, the basics that uh, this is the really the dominant area of the world, uh, you can't, is, is not going to change. I mean, no, no matter what we do, it's just not going to change. In your view, in the course of major discussion on what is happening and where next does it go, is there any hint, in your view, of a democratic process? No, and, and, and I mean democratic. I, I don't even know what that means anymore. Uh, I, I think I think our modus operandi is uh, divided rule. Uh, that what we what we've done in Viet, like what we did in Vietnam, we we tried to you know destroy you know uh, the, the rice the rice basket of Asia, you know with with with, uh, with Asian orange, and we you know we we try to upset that. Uh, uh, the same thing in uh, uh, in Afghanistan, and uh, you know, look at it. Libya always places. You know, uh, it's what we have done is we've created uh, instability, and that's what we wanted. <laughs> that's All right, we'll have to leave it there for the moment because we're out of time. But I want to thank you, Claude, for contributing so meaningfully today and causing us to do some additional thinking. Thank you all for contributing today. And I feel always elevated and uh, more and more educated the more we get from you what you're thinking. So let's do some more talking tomorrow. Bye-bye.